Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Back into it at Tower 2. It's Hale Varsity Radio here at the Pinnacle Bank Championship. Of course, uh, Corn Ferry tur- Tournament gets rolling here end of the week. We welcome in college football on our mind. An incredible play-by-play man. He's been part of college football on your TV for years. Tim Brando back with us at Tim Brando. Going to see a lot of him on Fox with his partner, Spencer Tillman. Tim, good to spend a few minutes and talk some ball. Season's almost here. How are you doing? I'm great, and thanks for not saying exactly how many years. <laughs> uh, distinguished is the definition. Time. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Distinguished, yes, man. I, you know, we love this time of year. We're excited for the season ahead for Nebraska. And Tim, you you've done your share in Nebraska games in your career. You also follow the program along with you know the great coverage you provide uh, each Saturday and. I want to get your take here. What is your, I don't want to say excitement level, but what's the level of intrigue you have for Matt Rule in year one for Nebraska? Well, among the, the high-profile coaches uh, in Division One college football, perhaps, I mean, let's face it, there's no denying that Dion is, is the hottest story. Okay, there's no, there's no doubt about that. We have to, we have to give him his due. Uh, none of us know how that experiment is going to go uh, at Colorado, but but certainly having the Colorado-Nebraska game, which I know because I just saw Joel and, and Gus at our Fox seminar about uh, three weeks ago, uh, they're through the roof about having that game, and, and we as a network are excited about having uh, Colorado on the first two weeks. They have TCU, and, and then they get you guys uh, in week two, and I no doubt uh, hope that I get up to Lincoln again uh, with Spencer before the season is out. But I would have to say, with, without question, if you take Dion out of the mix, the most intriguing uh, story, I believe, is having Rule come into Nebraska. And uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, there were a number of people that just felt when he went to Baylor that, gosh, this is a guy that's a Northeast guy. He's coming from Temple. This is, you know, we're talking Friday night lights in the state of Texas, and you're coaching at Baylor, and that thing is just a complete dumpster fire. How's that going to go? And and you saw what happened. I mean, it was immediate, you know, what Matt was able to do. And uh, to, to see where he was able to take the, uh, Baylor in, in such a short period of time, and then he didn't exactly leave the cupboard bare, and, and Dave Aranda picked up, where he left off, and um, 
Of course, Joey McGuire was also on that staff, and you see what Joey's done at Texas Tech. Um, man, that's, it's just amazing, his pedigree. And uh, I suspect that he is just what the doctor ordered uh, for the Cornhusker. I, I, can't, I, I can't allow myself to think otherwise. Now, I, I will stop short of saying he's uh, the next generation's Nick Saban. <laughs> you know that's that's all right, Tim. wasn't gonna bring wasn't gonna bring that one up. It's all right, my man. <laughs> yeah, I might as well get out ahead of it, right? I might as well get out ahead of it. Um, but but I do think that once you get past uh, Dion, who's clearly you know is kind of soaking up all the attention and and so uh, and and not leaving much room for any of the other newbies in college football. I, I think the the Matt Rule hire was. A magnificent one, and I cannot wait to see how immediate uh, his his uh, turnaround is because it certainly wasn't Baylor, you know. And and um, it's hard not to look at that and say that you would not expect it to be uh, as good, if not better, in the land of Big Red. And Tim, you've seen a lot of college football in your day. And again, I won't mention how many years. We're not going to go there. But whenever you, whenever you think about that wealth of college football experience that you have, you've seen a lot of, of coaches that have failed in turnarounds of programs and a lot of coaches that have succeeded in turnarounds of programs. Whenever you're watching Matt Rule here this season, regardless of if it's a 10-2 and two season or a 6-6 six and six season, either way it's progress. But is there anything you're looking for in terms of these are signs that show early in a tenure that a coach's turnaround is going to be successful or at least has a, a good chance of being successful? Well, I do know about his culture. You know, I do know about his culture and how he creates a culture of winning. I've been around that enough to know that. And uh, anyone that spends any time uh, in and around the program now will, will be able to see that. And, uh, so that's that's one of the reasons why I, I'm I'm so confident that it's going to happen. But my question is just how quickly will it happen? Because the Big Ten is 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 that's a lot, and, and Nebraska's issues, albeit not as grave the circumstances as he inherited at Baylor. I mean that was that was a program that almost you know got the death penalty. I mean it came dangerously close to getting the death penalty. Uh, because of everything that had gone on there post uh, Bryles, and 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 that's what he inherited. When when you look at Nebraska, the issues are um, the, the issues are 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 unique to, to the school and unique to the history of the program because of the the geographic location they find themselves in and the landscape of college football now being what it is. This is a storied program that has never been able to rekindle the flame, to get it uh, going, to get it back where, where its, its lofty perch was for, you know, decades. Uh, certainly the, the bulk of my lifetime, um, Nebraska was, was the it program. Uh, but but a, lot of, a lot of things changed uh, with our sport, and, and specifically – uh, the realignment was part of that, and they were on the cutting edge of that, and it, and it, it did not work well. Uh, and I think it put Nebraska in a, a bit of a pickle with regard to what the expectations of the fan base were, what the, what the game had uh, turned to from an offensive standpoint, and how difficult it was to recruit uh, to that end. 
with the game changing and evolving the way that it did. Those were things that were really outside the players and the coaching staff's control, but that every one of them that went in there had to deal with. You know, really since Frank Solis left, mm-hmm. it was that way. And, and it stayed that way. And, and I do think Rule can turn it around because of his culture and because of his teachings. And he's just a damn smart coach. I mean, he. Uh, what happened at Carolina was what could happen to any coach in the National Football League when you have uh, injuries at the mission-critical position. Uh, but, but their loss and uh, his circumstances that were difficult uh, are really to, to Nebraska's gain. Uh, because I... There are a lot of people in Carolina that wish that he, he had not left. I mean, they, there are. And I have friends there that, that uh, have told me that. So there's no doubt in my mind he will be successful. It's just a question of, in my mind, how quickly he will be. And, and, and I, I tend to believe that it will be faster than maybe even some of the Nebraska fans believe. Tim, what does Nebraska need to be? We, we hear this narrative, and, and I believe it, covering college football for a while. I know what college football is like and how fun Saturdays are when Nebraska's good, when Ohio State's, what Ohio State's been, mm-hmm. when Texas, I just said a bad word on the radio in, in some people's <laughs> ears in Nebraska, Texas yeah. is good, Notre Dame, Miami, SC. I mean, go down the, the, the list of teams that, you grew up watching and following on Saturdays, those big games that weren't in your backyard. What does Nebraska need to be in this landscape of college football and even the new Big Ten because there's Hollywood and then now the great Northwest coming to, to Lincoln on some Saturdays? Yeah, I mean, uh, in the aftermath of um, you know what happened on Friday and the fallout from that, and that's, gosh, you, could, you can get me on a roll talking about how um, – <laughs> I feel about uh, some of the negativity coming from uh, many of my uh, colleagues in, in sports media, particularly those that are writing uh, columns, and many of whom I respect a great deal about what happened. I, I, I have a completely different view from many of those. Maybe we can get into that later. But sure. specifically from, from your, your questions uh, point, I, I think that Nebraska needs to be who they are. And you begin with toughness. And I know this. I know that that's what Matt Rule would say. From the very jump, it's going to be about toughness, which means make sure you have a back that can get you the really tough yards and make sure that you've got an offensive line that understands that it can block and get downhill and and be able to move the football that way. Uh, A very active uh, fly-to-the-ball defense, which is, you know, we hear it often, and I know it's, how many more times can you hear it? We need to reinvent the black shirts. I know you hear it ad nauseum. I do think that Matt, his, his philosophy is just that. But he's going to wing it, too. I mean, spreading that thing out, creating avenues to run, and, and looking really at the way he did it at Baylor, uh, I mean, he, he knows that he's got to have a, a, a great quarterback. He's got to have at least one, maybe two great running backs. And the offensive line's got to be able to both pass block and run block. Uh, and what has happened, I think, uh, in, in the years since Frank Solich left, when, when Nebraska got away from their identity, it seems that they were never particularly good at either one of those because they had lost their identity. I think he's going to reestablish the identity, and it will start with toughness, the ability to 
win more at the line of scrimmage than they've currently been winning. But at the same time, it's not just going to be grounded pound because he likes big plays. He likes explosive plays. And he wants to have the players that can make those plays happen. So that that's what Nebraska needs to be. And I think that that philosophy and, and starting with the culture is how you go about getting it done. Tim, how important do you think it is from the, the grander sense of college football for Nebraska to be great again? Because we saw this a little bit with Tennessee last year, just the amount of excitement that they caused in the SEC, the fact that Tennessee was back closer to where we expect them to be. And with the Big Ten growing with what it's going to be in the grander, the grander sense of college football starting in 2024 and 2025, how important is it that Nebraska gets back closer to where we expect that, that Nebraska could or should be? Well, let me just give it to you from the standpoint of a 30,000-foot snapshot from someone who loves the game but has no fandom whatsoever for any team. You know, I really don't. I mean, I, I don't care who wins. I never have cared who won. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see my alma mater get to a bowl game. I hope Terry Bowden does well at ULM this year. Uh, I'm an old Northeast guy before it became a hyphen school. It was a directional school. I don't mind it when the home state does well. And uh, my, my daughters went to LSU and Ole Miss, and so I've sunk a little money into them. And I may have a little more of a, of a keen eye on some of their games. But in truth, um, I'm just going to give you the snapshot from, from 30,000 feet. For many people, okay, many, many people that are fair-minded and just love college football, and they don't have a dog in the hunt, when you start talking about premier programs through the history of college football. When certain teams are down, it doesn't bother them that much. You know, they may have gotten tired, really tired of, of Florida. Okay. So the fact that Florida is down, it doesn't really bother as many people as you might think. The fact that Texas, he's saying they're back when they're not back. There are a lot of people that are okay with that. Okay. That USC has not won a, a, a title since uh, the Bush push and, and Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush were together. There are a lot of people that, that they really don't mind that so much. I mean, they don't. Nebraska is a program that I think is universally loved uh, outside the footprint. Now, maybe not so much with your rivals. Maybe not in Colorado. Maybe not uh, in Texas. Maybe, maybe not in Oklahoma. Uh, but but you know what I'm saying. The, the Nebraska fan base is is one that has been around the block and has traveled to many other sites and has won the respect of a lot of fans of a lot of other teams around the country. And to see that uh, incredible stat every year that for the I don't how many, where, how many sellouts are we at now? Uh, how many in a row has it been? Oh, wow. Um, just Since 62 and Nebraska's over, we're pushing to 400, aren't they, Elijah? There you go. I believe they're in the 360s right now. To be able to say that through all of the tumult okay, <laughs> that you've been through is amazing. Not a, I don't think there's another program in the country that could have been as irrelevant nationally as Nebraska's been that would be considered a blue blood uh, that still had that kind of support. You wouldn't see that even at some of the biggest SEC schools. Alabama went through it. I was there. I covered it uh, in the years post-Bear Bryant and pre-Nick Saban. 
even even during the years when Gene Stallings was was still coaching after they had won a national title in 1992, I was doing SEC games in that time period between 94 and and all the way up and through uh, the time that I left CBS 2013. Uh, if they were bad, uh, there, there were empty seats at, at Bryant Denny. There were, and a lot of unrest. Nebraska's had its unrest, but its fan base have been they've just been steadfast. So I think that wins a lot of uh, uh, wins a lot of favor around the country in in places where college football is a big deal, and yet the fans may not have um, you know the so-called dog in the hut or husker in the hut, but they they're going to be happy for you if you if you do well and get that thing going again. So I, I believe that there are even some cynics in the media would probably be pretty excited if Nebraska were relevant again. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Jim Brando, a couple more minutes with us. Hale Varsity Radio, college football thoughts. Fox's Tim Brando, at Tim Brando on Twitter is where you find him. You'll see him on your flat screens, uh, college football Saturdays. Tim, going to back out and, and talk expansion real quick. Do you yep. like the addition of Washington and Oregon to the Big Ten? Second part to that, what do you feel? Because I know you spend a lot of time with the ACC as well about some reports earlier this week with Cal and Stanford maybe heading to the ACC? I really have a problem seeing that becoming a reality. Uh, and, and it may. I may be wrong. I may be wrong. Um, I'm sure Jim Phillips, because of the relationships he has, the ACC commissioner, uh, mm-hmm. sees uh, the potential of bringing in those two schools as an opportunity to maybe force ESPN, his television partner, to get their payout up from where it's currently located, and it's not a lot uh, for each team. And the reason the ACC's been in this position is because of the bad contract that they signed uh, with with grant of rights all the way up through 2036. Uh, and that was because they were adamant, the ACC was, about having their own cable network, similar to the SEC and the Big Ten. Well, ESPN did a pretty smart thing. They said, well, sure, we'll give you that. We'll give you your cable network, but we want to hold you down to a contract for two, all the way until 2036. Uh, that payout is incredible. You, you've probably heard the reports about Florida State looking um, to, to maybe find some help uh, with, with uh, Wall Street to possibly uh, give them a loan so they can buy their way out and then pay them back over – a period of time from their television money. That's how badly some of these teams want to get out of the ACC. I think with that issue confronting the ACC simultaneously with Cal and Stanford potentially being teams that might be coming in, I would, if I were the, the people in charge at those two schools, I would pause for a moment before I sold myself to, to the ACC. Uh, to me, uh, to take the cobble of teams that are remaining in the Pac-12, hook them up with the Mountain West, who already has a linear television deal, uh, I think that would be a, a much wiser choice. Remember, what league you're in is not going to matter quite as much with the expansion to 12 teams coming in the college football playoff. 
taking the, the, the route of least resistance probably makes more sense, and I think geographically especially it would make sense to those two schools. That's just a thought about what's going on in the ACC. As for what the circumstances are with uh, the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the teams that they got from the Pac-12 and the criticism that's come since then, you guys no doubt follow me on social media. You know from past appearances that I've made on uh, other shows, be they uh, podcasts or national radio shows of some kind, uh, I saw this coming a long time ago. I saw Deion Sanders when he t- took the job at Colorado. I felt, I felt like he knew that his administration was going to get them back in the Big 12. I really felt that then, and uh, it proved to be prophetic. I think that this notion, and you're reading some of it now, most of it from the print media and even from some, some writers that I, I have respect for, this notion that um, college football as we knew it is dead and, and uh, that television nukes the Pac-12 is, is <laughs> as off the charts as, as anything I think I've ever read. Um, listen, the Pac-12 was asleep at the, the wheel. They were a one-car accident not giving due diligence to what was necessary when your rights were up. They piddled around with their television rights for far too long and allowed Brett Yormark a fast-talking New York lawyer that knew, knew how to build a success story at NASCAR, comes into the Big 12 after losing two of the biggest brands in the sport, Texas and OU, supplants them with some really solid programs out of the American, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston, coupled with bringing BYU in, which brings not only a national but an international following, and he gets a, a great contract with both ESPN and Fox, uh, on linear television, and he basically understood that the market was soft and got as much money from TV as he could, so much so that there wasn't any money left from the networks, given the economy that we have. So for the Pac-12 to only be able to come up with an Apple-centric, digital, incentive-based contract offer, that was not going to please the presidents and the athletic directors of those schools that were a part of the remaining nine in the Pac-12. So Klyavkov, with the help of, of, of Larry Scott, who really ran that place into a ditch, the Pac-12 did this to themselves. Yeah, television plays a role. It always does, an important one. But to say that there was some devious plan on the part of executives, whether they be at the company I work for or at ESPN, to say it was some devious plot to end the Pac-12, which some have written, is, is absolute smut. And, uh, and beneath conversation for me. Tim Brando's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, at Tim Brando on Twitter. Tim, it's been awesome to chat some college ball with you. We'll do this again in season if time permits for you. But uh, dear friend of yours that we love talking to for a lot of years is Beano Cook. What, oh, advice yeah. would, <laughs> what, what advice would Beano have for the Irish, Notre Dame right now? Ultra Dave's got material. They always have, but they've got this egocentric problem about not being in a conference. You're going to have to, at some point, even if you have the best home field advantage since the Kremlin, at some point you're going to have to join a conference and play along. Because if you don't, you're going to get left at the wagon, just like those folks out on the West Coast did. Now, Duke Rockney wanted to play that game with USC. 
He wanted to take the train all the way out there to play against USC. Well, now USC's got to fly to the Midwest in the frozen tundras to play. Notre, Notre Dame needs to know that it's a new game. There are new sheriffs, and you're no longer the big kahuna. That was pretty good. Well played. <laughs> the best home field since the Kremlin. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, I could see him going to the Big 12. You know what? Uh, that's This is disrespectful, but it's it looks more winnable as I, as I bite my tongue than the Big 10 or the SEC. Well, honestly, they could save the ACC from its woes, its problems. They could. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and they were contractually bound up until just recently. If they were to have gone into a league, John Swafford, the former commissioner, had that, that deal signed, and Jack Swarbrick, the then athletic director at Notre Dame, had signed it. So they were bound contractually to go to the ACC if they had left uh, their level of independence. But now that's not the case. And, and you raise an interesting point. I, I think there's been enough bad blood over time between Big Ten ADs and, and coaches with Notre Dame that even though it makes more geographical sense to go there, um, I, I just think there have been uh, way too many uh, circumstances and impasses for them to overcome for that to ever be the case. Tim, have a, a, just, a, just a magical college football season again. You're awesome. We love catching up, and thanks for giving us a few minutes today. You got it. I hope to get it back up there. I love being in, in Lincoln and, and seeing my friend uh, uh, Dan Whitney and Larry, the cable guy, and all my friends oh, yeah. in Nebraska. Y'all have a great one. I hope to see you. I mean, Joel and Gus can't get all your games. At some point, Spencer and I have got to get there. Well, I want to I see you there. That'd be good to see you both. That'd be good. <laughs> Thanks a lot.